It's so awesome that the Lord Jesus, when he, when he looks at us, um, he, su- he sees, because he's the Alpha and the Omega, he sees the beginning from the end, and he sees, I believe he sees us from our future, and that's why he's our biggest fan in the present. And because, you know, Philippians 1.6, he finishes the work he starts. And I think Jesus is so pumped when he looks at you and he looks at me, however imperfect, however long we have to go, but if he sees our heart that says, you know what, I'm eager to go further with you, to take the next step, I'm just convinced Jesus is like, that's all, that's all I need to work with. Because I'm already in your future and I'm, I never diminish in power or resources or ability to transform you from glory to glory. And so what if you and I began to view each other through the lens than the way in which Jesus views us? You think we would be quicker to extend a little mercy, a little forgiveness, a little bit grace if we knew, man, their future is glorious. Their present may be a little funky right now. No one's ever had that. No one's a little funky right now. Thank you for reminding me of that. I'm sorry. You're the man, Justin. Thank you. Hey, how many have been following the news with Hurricane Harvey? You've been following. There's so many miraculous stories, so many tragic stories of how the body's rising up and obviously the loss of life and the damage. And, um, but those of you who want to specifically know, how, you can screenshot that with your cell phone. Um, one of the best things my, my spiritual uh, father, Pastor Ron, always said about being in a denomination is for times like this, when there are disasters, when there are first responders needed, that as a denomination, we've got people in Houston and in the area that the immediate money goes immediately to those who have skin and bone in the immediate surrounding area. So it is one way that you and I can help with this, um, this tragedy as the body of Christ. And so check that out. You can go to that website, donate. It goes, it'll go directly to the field for those who want to help um, with the, the Hurricane Harvey um, help and relief. Amen. How many know giving is, is a part of being the body of Christ tangibly? And there's another way. Um, don't go there yet. Just go back because I think someone else was taking a picture. Um, and we'll provide the link. I already, it's on our Facebook. If you're in our Cornerstone World, Cornerstone Church Facebook, if you don't do anything technological, I will send you a telegram. I don't know what to do. I just, I don't even know how to use a phone, like a blind landline anymore. But we'll work on it. We'll work on it. And then obviously donating um, is a tangible way to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And there's another way, um, slide number two here. Um, like, I know everyone's like, no, duh. But really, pray. Amen? Um, it, it is a matter of first, first importance that God um, would, would move in powerful ways, that, that there would be um, preservation of life. You get it. Just pray, pray, pray. But very, very specifically, if you go to the ncm.org slash pray, those prayers that you want to write or send can go directly again to people on the ground to be encouraged by these letters, these emails, knowing people in Santa Maria, California are praying for our brothers and sisters that are suffering in Texas. And so even as our our president, you know, this is a national day to pray. Can we just do that? Can we just, uh, Lord, we just cry out for Houston. We come into agreement, God, that you would come in power, that you would release provision, you would release safety, that God, even those right now still suffering, not knowing where their next cup of water is coming from, where their next meal, where their next warm shelter would be, Lord, that you would just sweep in in power. We bind death, Lord. We ask that you would overcome sickness and disease as a result of this terrible tragedy. We ask that you would lose provision over the church in the entire region. We ask that you would lose first responders, strengthen their lives, strengthen their husbands and their 
their wives, strengthen those who are out there walking through the water, paying a price, risking their life to help save others. God, we just lift up that prayer right now in Jesus' name for those affected, for those, Lord, families, marriages, sons and daughters, aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, God, businesses, homes, Lord, we ask that your mercy would just flood that place right now, that your grace, that your healing, that your tangible presence and love would just now sweep them up into your arms. And we all agreed in Santa Maria and California, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. And so we can give and we can pray. And if you wanna find out more specifically, come talk to me after this service uh, about that. Thank you so much, Justin, um, for texting me. I didn't see you texted me until now, and, but taking the uh, initiative to do that. I love you. You're amazing. You're amazing. Well, with football right around the corner, Who just said, yeah, that was funny. <laughs> Pastor Chad knows that football is more important. I'm just kidding. So I'm gonna, learn, I'm gonna start learning uh, how to preach a little bit shorter, so I'll start this Sunday. Just, <laughs> you're not supposed to cheer for that. That's pretty rude. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, everybody. Um. I just have a simple word this morning, very simple, with the potential to have great repercussions for your life and mine. Very, very simple. Um, I, I, rem I, rem I remember some time back when I had first moved to California. For those of you who have no idea who I am, I am, and you can't hold it against me, I didn't have a choice. I was born and raised in Kansas City. So... So I very seldom get to see any Chiefs games because I live in California and I always have to watch the Raiders. Just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. It was, Cornerstone was a great church to go to until the pastor bashed my team. But anyway, um, I remember when I had first moved here, I remember packing up the U-Haul. My dad and I went on an epic trip driving all the way from Kansas City to California. And fresh out of college, fresh out of college, Haley and I were, were, we were engaged, dating and engaged long distance, and then just making that journey, making that trip, and unloading, being pumped, getting my apartment set up, and, and then starting as a college young adult pastor, um, not having a clue. <sighs> you know... <laughs> I mean, being immersed in Central Coast California culture was just, how many know this is like, it's a pretty unique culture. I've been around the world, I've been around the globe, been around the country, many, 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 many states. There's no place like where we live. That's good, bad, ugly, awesome. That's everything. It's all of it. It's amazing. I love where we live. It's amazing. But I remember sitting in my office and, and getting ready to launch this ministry and, and like I was so trying to perfect the content because I was a brand new pastor. So all my, my printed, my logos, every, it was all about just getting your content right, presentable, so that college kids would want to come to your group. I remember just so stressing and, and 
just racking my brain, reading book after book, just trying to get ideas and how are we going to move forward and, and uh, how are we going to birth this ministry, how are we going to reach kids on campuses, etc. And I remember I got an email in the midst of this brand new season right when I had moved to California that said this. Many times we want to take simple ideas and make them complex so that we don't have to obey them. I'll never forget, I was sitting in my office, I got this email, that, and I'm a thinker, if you know me at all, I'm a, I, can, I love thinking, I love, I love writing, I love that whole world that I can get stuck in. Sometimes. Anyone with me, anyone a thinker, an idea person? And so, the three points of my message today are really born out of that. The content is not enough. You've got to have conviction. And then conviction leads to consecration. So the content convicts. And that doesn't just mean rebukes the areas that are not like Jesus, but that the content, the truth, the scripture, the idea, it's not enough for it just to be content for content's sake. It's gotta lead to conviction. And then when you're gripped with something, there's an invitation to consecration, which is to say, all right, I'm setting aside everything else and I'm going after that which you've gripped my heart with, which then leads to commitment. I'm not willing just to do that one time. I'm willing to do it every day when I wake up. You, are you tracking with me? Content is not enough. It's got to grip your soul. Many of us, including the Pharisees, including Satan, by the way, just read James chapter 2. They know the scriptures. It's not enough just to know the scriptures. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. I know. I, got, I was quoting scripture this morning in my prayer time. But that is not enough. It's got a conviction. It's got to grip you, and it can grip you. And then it's not enough that it just grips us. There's got to be a response to that gripping. And the response that heaven's looking for when he grips us with truth is that we wholeheartedly go after that which he's gripped us with. It's called consecration. And Lord, I'm totally going all in for that. And then there's the little old thing called daily commitment. Content, conviction, consecration, I'm all in. And then the willingness and eagerness, you know, I'm committed to walk this out every single day. And if you know of some other way to grow and to make progress in your marriage or your relationships or your business or at school or in your walk with God, then please come and save me because those four C's are tough. But I'm convinced there is no other way than for the reality like we talked about in Colossians 3, the message of Christ deeply grip us, which is why we're a praying church, because we know content's not enough. We are an interceding praying church because we want the content to grip hearts and lives. And the reason why we have all these opportunities to pray and to gather around is because we know that it's in the context of the presence of God that consecration makes sense, because when we see him, we realize everything else is worth letting go to grab a hold of that which he grabbed a hold of us first. And the reason we gather together is because that daily commitment is really hard when you say yes to it alone, and that's why we need each other. Conviction. Say it with me. Conviction. I'm sorry. Content. My hands. Conviction. Consecration. 
commitment every day, every day to these truths. And I wanna revisit just one part of a passage I preached on a few weeks ago, and I wanna go a little bit deeper and just allow you to think about it today. Jesus said this, that um, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, someone say, you gotta put it into practice. And puts it into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house. Has anyone been there? Come on, has anyone been there? Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, and many of us, listen, I, I just, I read, a, I read an article or, or something. You know how many ads and content we are bombarded with on a daily basis? Anyone want to guess? It's like, just Google it and then tell me the answer like a minute later. <laughs> but everyone who, and, and listen, that can be the same in your Christian life. You get the app, you get the Bible verse, Instagram, Twitter, and you can just, <laughs> but here's what he says. Anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, where content becomes conviction, where conviction becomes consecration, and where consecration is followed up by a daily commitment to practice what you've heard. You track it with me? That those who hear my words and don't put them into practice are like a foolish man that build their house on the sand. The same thing happens to you whether your foundation's on the rock or the sand. Look what Jesus goes on to say. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Beloved, I'm telling you, the Lord wants to build something so dynamic amongst us, not just in this building, but in this whole city and in this region, but we're never going to scratch even an inch of that potential if we only stay in content realm. We go from curriculum, study, study. He wants, it's a day and age, and the season we're at as a church is that we would take all that we've learned and that we would say, Holy Spirit, okay, now grip my heart with that which I've known. Some of us have been to 80 billion Bible studies, and I'm not harping on that. I know, I love the Bible, but I believe we are in a day and age where we're gonna discover, we're gonna discover dynamics of walking with God that we've never experienced before because we're no longer satisfied just with classroom teacher, more content. We're gonna walk in a new season of actually practicing that which we're hearing. And the thing I love about the, the word practice puts them into practice, because how many know you are never an expert? It's always practice. And what is specifically Jesus is saying here in Matthew 7, he's saying this, he's saying, my ideal for you, if you're ever wondering what Jesus' ideal for you and for me, anyone ever wondered that? Jesus, what do you require? What are you looking for? What are you going after? Guess what? He modeled everything he would then turn around and call us to do and to become. He said, you're seeing it in me. But I'm convinced, beloved, that as, as many of us endure the shaking and we reach for content, but the content that did not convict us and lead to consecration and then commitment to walk it out every day, beloved, our houses will crumble and fall. But I'm here to tell you the good news today. They don't have to crumble and fall. 
And part of, what this, part of what this new format, and I'm almost done, part of what this new format on Wednesdays, and I know there's 800 groups everyone belongs to, I'm inviting you to jump in with us on Wednesday nights. I've invited you for 16 months, and that's not a, con- I'm not, you don't feel guilty, but on Wednesdays specifically, we are aggressively going to aim at practicing the ways of Jesus, not just learning about the ways of Jesus. How many know it's both? You gotta hear me, I love content. Go look at my, I love books. I love learning, 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 learning. But I'm telling you, as a church, for us to go to the next level of fruitfulness, it's time to begin to increasingly become faithful with that which we already know. Am I talking to anybody? Content's not enough, we gotta be convicted. Consecration, commitment. It is in and around this commitment that we find unity in our fellowship. That was a good word. Listen, here's why unity is so stinking hard because we're, most of us come, we're so independent and we're gathered around what we think is best, kind of like in the days of judges when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But if we will rally together in this season around that which the Lord is calling us to be and to become, I'm telling you, it will lead to unprecedented unity Unity for the sake of unity is almost an impossible battle. How many know there's always something to disunify us? An opinion, an agenda, eating style, you're a night owl or morning person, there's eight, or you like the Raiders or the Niners. Or the Seahawks, I don't know, whatever. Or the Chiefs. You wonder why I love praying so much. Thank you, Chad. Someone got the joke. I'm convinced, listen, I'm convinced, absolutely convinced. We will discover an unprecedented unity. By unity, I mean a sense of belonging. By unity, I mean a sense of purpose. By unity, I mean a sense of this is bigger than me, but it includes me. By unity, I mean there's no way I would hang with you, but that you and I have the four C's. We're being shaped by what we're learning, but that learning filters into our hearts, which change our priorities. And then we all, in that that realm of surrender and consecration, and then we're willing to walk it out every day and to practice that which we're learning. I'm telling you, on that journey and on that path, the scriptures talk about unity. There's no other path in which unity is brought, but that common commitment to be and to become all that Jesus is calling us to be and become. Because there will be, there'll always be another opinion, another agenda. And when the scriptures talk about fellowship, the word is this thing of, the, the word fellowship in the Bible in Acts chapter 2, 42, it's this issue of common life or common aim. And I'm telling you, there has never been a more important day in the church that we would know what we're aiming at together so that we can t- make progress through practicing that which God is forming and forging in us through the gospel, by his word and spirit, in the context of community for the glory of God in the world. That was good stuff. I like it. And I'm convinced, this is just a little one-liner, you can have fun with it. We, the idea that the most mature among us is the one who knows the most is not, it's not, a, God, it's not a biblical idea. It's time to practice. Listen, I love, it says in Hebrews 5, solid food is for the mature, verse 14, who by constant use, say constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. 
I love that word, constant use, have trained themselves. And I'm just telling you, as your pastor, we are gonna enter into a wonderful, exciting season of practicing, putting it down out of the ethereal into the tangible, real-life stuff of life. And I'm telling you, we're gonna see growth, fruit, breakthrough, unity like we've never experienced as a church before. It says this in, in, in Acts 2. I'm only gonna do one verse. This is my, that was all intro stuff. This is just one verse. After the Holy Spirit fell, I preached on Acts 2 several weeks ago. You can listen to it on the podcast. And 3,000 were added. They were re- repented and they were baptized into family. And it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I wanna say that, that what we want to be and become and what we want to practice here are the ways, the words, and the works of Jesus. And I wanna say this, if you're taking notes, this is just some things that I, that I wrote that I thought sort of captured just a big picture that we're gonna go deep in the next several weeks. If we're to a people, the apostles' teaching was the ways, words, and works of Jesus. That's shorthand. We made it up a couple weeks ago. and It's it's memorable, ways, words, and works. I would argue that the entire posture of Jesus' way of life was servanthood. Would you agree with me? Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't know, do you agree? Jesus said it best, if you're taking notes, in in, in Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That, the, that Jesus can say in John 6, when he's surrounded by crowds who he just fed, but he knew they were following him for all the wrong reasons. He says, I've not come down to do my will, but the will of my Father who's in heaven. That to be a people who are practicing the ways of Jesus, how many know there is no servant only in thought? It's always gotta be embodied in practice. Are you tracking with me? That's why we gotta do the ways of Jesus, practice them. And if the entire posture of Jesus' life was one of servanthood, that's something we gotta get down in the nitty gritty. It's gotta become a regular activity rhythm that begins to shape our shared life together as a family of believers. All in favor, say amen. So I would argue that the the entire posture of Jesus' way of life, and there's many more verses, don't have time, was one of servanthood. I am among you, Jesus said, as one who serves in Luke chapter 22. I would argue that's the posture of Jesus's life, which we're to devote ourselves, which that word devote means to patiently and perseverantly go after something with no expiration date. You go after it, no time off, never hitting stop or pause, and that's the kind of devotion that if we'll give ourselves to, we're gonna see breakthrough fruitfulness that would blow our mind if we could see it now. It might just inspire us to be devoted. The entire entire posture of Jesus' way of life was one of servanthood. Oh my goodness, go memorize Philippians 2, 1 through 12, and then come quote it for me next week. You got this. It's about the servanthood of Jesus. I challenge you. That was a challenge. No one's writing it down, but do it. I'll give you a gold star. That's the posture. I would argue that the motivation of all of Jesus' life, so there's posture, and then here's motivation, was love for his father, for his disciples, and for the world. Say it with me. For his father... 
That's the upward for his disciples. That's the right side of the tri- for his family, for those he's pouring his life into, and for the world. And I'm convinced that if we're to make progress, that the motivation of our life would be love for God, love for each other, and love for the world. Jesus said, Jesus said it best. He said in John 14, 30, the world has to know that I love the Father by going to the cross because that's what Papa's called me to do. He goes on to say, because I love my disciples so much in John 13, he got low and washed their feet. So there's the Father, there's the, his disciples, and then obviously the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So his posture was servanthood. That was the way of his life. The motivation of his life was love for father, for his family, for his disciples, and for the world. Posture and motivation. There's many more verses. Don't have time. I love this. This is a paragraph that I think, so posture, motivation, and here's his mission. Are you ready to hear his mission? You might argue with me. I couldn't fit it all in in one paragraph. I'm the king of long run-on sentences. That's what Pastor Chad told me. But I liked this one long run-on sentence. Posture, motivation, mission. His mission was to usher in God's kingdom, to ratify and to bring the promised and prophesied new covenant through his blood, which would result in the poured out spirit of God on all flesh. His mission was to destroy the works of the devil, to redeem those in slavery, to ransom those bound in prison and to reconcile the enemies at enmity with God to be on friendly terms with the Father. His mission was to fulfill all the law, all the prophets, to be the true and perfect Adam, the seed of promise through the lineage of Abraham, to be faithful Israel and ultimately to be the savior of the world. And I want you to know that the posture of servanthood, the motivation of love, is what empowered him to fulfill the mission over his life. And it will empower us to fulfill the mission over our life. The way he got there was through suffering, submission. But he suffered and submitted because he knew perpetual eternal joy was his reward and ours. His end and our end, if we're in Christ, are the the same. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross to make a way. Jesus is the prototype, the one that all of us, there's no one else pursuing but him. And the only way we're gonna grow in a posture of servanthood, the only way we're gonna grow and be motivated by love And the only way that you and I are gonna participate in God's ongoing mission, how many know Jesus inaugurated the thing called the kingdom? He's going to bring the fullness when he comes, but in between the now and the not yet, you and I get to participate in his mission. And the way we're gonna do that is through a posture of servanthood, motivation of love, and a resolve through being content, conviction, consecrate, daily committed, that we will see God's mission definitively and finally fulfilled at the return of Jesus, but we're to be about the Father's business now, today, together. We are a people. It's not just not enough to know any longer. 
it's time to practice. And the great thing about practice is, and why Christian community is so dynamic, because um, we get to have grace for each other and get to look at each other and say, dude, I'm practicing. I'm not there yet. I'm fine with the idea of servanthood until someone treats me like a servant. I'm fine with love as long as it's those who will invite me back to their party. Oh, I'm fine with the mission as long as it's convenient and fits on my calendar and I'm I'm not busy that day. How many know the reality, the message of Christ, it can't stay in the ethereal, not in our heads any longer. It's got to convict us. And then our only suitable response to that conviction is consecration, going all in, saying, Lord, no longer am I going to be a fringer. I'm going all in. And God sees that resolve and he says, okay, great. Now every day commit to walk that out in community, practicing the ways, words, and work of Jesus. And you will be shocked. You do that for any amount of time. You devote yourself to it. You're going to see progress and fruit that you could never experience otherwise. Jesus is the aim and the ambition. He's the center of the bullseye of what we're going after here at Cornerstone Church. Everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did, and the way in which he did all of it, that's how we want to be at Cornerstone Church. We believe that the scriptures narrate the story and the salvific work of Christ, not so that we would just admire it on a page, but that the Spirit would say, if he did it, and he was an example, the way, the truth, and the life, you know what, you could do it too through him. It's not enough for it to stay out here. He wants it to become flesh in us. And the only way we're gonna grow in that is by practicing together. The ways, the words, and the work of Jesus. So, I'm asking you, as we get ready to launch into the fall, ask the Lord, am I willing to be committed to that? Ask the Lord, Lord, have I been content obsessed, but yet I just go to the next book, to the next thought, the next teacher, the next idea, and I never put into practice 25 series ago the things that I read? You don't have to be condemned change your mind. It's called repentance. Say, Lord, I want to obey the last thing you told me to do. Lord, I want the motivation. I want the posture of my life to be like Jesus, where it's not that I'm about what I can get, but it's about what I can give. I want to give my life. I want to serve just like Jesus. Jesus, I want the motivation of my life to be the love of God for the Father, for the church, and for the world. And then Jesus, I ultimately, like you were about your father's business, I want to be so caught up in your mission to redeem and remake the entire world through you that, Lord, I want to be totally sold out to it. And I want to commit to do that every single day. If you'll do that, beloved, you and I are going to be shocked when we look in the mirror and go, Oh my goodness, all those lofty ideas are starting to become a reality. All those thoughts and those ambitions and those hopes that through consistent practicing the ways, words, and work of Jesus, I'm making progress. 
And when you and I make a little bit of progress, guess what? That progress is not just for yourself. You then have become a prime candidate to help those who need to make some progress and you turn around and you bring them with you. It's called discipleship. You see that? I'm trying to make it simple. I hope it's easy. It's simple. It's not easy. It's simple. It's simple enough. And I'm just calling you out. I'm calling myself out. Let's go to work. Let's practice the ways of Jesus together. And as I close, just want to, again, share the format with Wednesday night. Many of you have Bible study small groups. I'm not telling you to quit your friends, but if Cornerstone's your home, your church, it's a very strategic thing we are doing to, to make progress in all that I just preached about today, the ways, words, and work of Jesus. For those of you who have a burning heart and passion or who want to grow in it for intercession, every Wednesday night from 5.30 to 6.15, prayer room, intercessors, agreeing with heaven, What's the Lord stirring in your heart as we obviously don't just intercede and pray when we're in this building, but from 5.30 to 6.15, if you have a heart and desire to grow in intercession and prayer, please join us. From about 6.20 to 7, we're gonna do what we've done every Wednesday night for 16 months. Worship and pray, be happy in the presence of God, agree with his heart, intercede. Anyone been there? They're great nights, minister. And then from 7 to 8, we're gonna practice the ways of Jesus. We're gonna allow the content, the ideas to become practical, to begin to shape and form our hearts in community. That's the only context it makes sense in. How many know we need each other? We're gonna encourage and send each other out to live it in our everyday life. And then on Sunday, my dream and my goal is we'll begin to hear increasingly amazing testimonies of the everyday regular people who are learning to live in the ways of Jesus in their everyday life, but are seeing the fruit of the kingdom break out. Does that sound simple enough? That's our, listen, I've read books. There's a billion, I have so many, I'm like, enough already. Just do one little thing and give yourself to it and we'll see God make some progress in our lives. And so those of you who put up with me, I love you, you're amazing. Well, some of you can laugh at me. I'm, what I'm, I'm just saying I'm, I'm, I'm a work in progress like you are. But I'm working, man. I want him to transform my life. I am not satisfied yet. The content convicts me. I want to be consecrated. I want to commit with you every day to grow in the likeness and love of Jesus himself. How many know there's room for all of us to grow? Can you stand with me? I just want to just bless you. We have a prayer team after the service that would love and be honored to pray with you if you have anything. But could you just receive this blessing from the Lord this morning? If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. That's the good news of the gospel today. You put your trust in Jesus. You repent, which just means you change your mind. I'm not the Lord. He is. You are made a brand new creation. It's always good news, and it's for every day, and it's for everybody. It goes on to say this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God was making his appeal through us. 
For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that he died for all and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him, Jesus, who died for them and was raised again. And so I pray as God sends us as a community that we would be sent compelled, motivated by the very love of Christ. That everyone we encounter this week would know we're not just content experts, we're convicted. We're given, consecrated, and we're committed to more and more practice the words, works, and ways of Jesus together. Where it's our words that back up our actions not our words that have to apologize for our actions for not lining up with our words. Lord, I pray that the love of Christ would so compel us, so grip us, that we would see amazing transformation one step, one moment, one day at a time. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.